0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit gotocrosspoint.com. Thank
1: you. So it was several years ago when I lived down in Vista before moving to Temecula, picking up our daughter from school. She's in middle school at the time. And uh, she's in the back seat, and we're just going through Santa Fe Avenue, Uh, and Oceanside Boulevard. And all of a sudden from the back seat, she says, oh, you hollet. Now I get it. That for years and years, she had seen you and hollet had never put together you, whatever. And so you're going, what are we talking about here with moving? It's here's the deal. From time to time, you're going to have moments where you're going to go, you'll see the message title on that note sheet that's in your program there. Ah, oh, now I get it. Where like, it was just right there in front of me all the time. Like what we just saw, what Sam just read, where this guy, Apollos, he didn't know some things. And all of a sudden like, oh, ow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I get it. Uh, some moments like that. I wonder what the, some of those have been for you and are for you. You're probably going to talk about a few of those uh, today. As we're together, both here in the house and those of you that are watching with us online together in our online audience. Um, it's a little bit like that song, the old school song, Amazing Grace, where he says, I once was blind, but now I see. Sometimes that sight is like, man, I was blind. I couldn't see. And boom, the lights came on. And sometimes it's what, like Paul talks about in First Corinthians that I kind of see through a lens and it's kind of fuzzy. And all of a sudden, boom somebody washes the windows somebody all the all the fuzziness goes away and it that's what what happens sometimes for us as we're here in acts chapter 18 uh verses 18 to 23 it just narrates that paul is what, what paul's doing it's his travel journeys uh let me give you a recap for those of you who haven't been here for a while which is me i haven't been here in three weeks i was son got married, went on a great vacation, all that kind of stuff. It's so good to be back with you again today. But if you've missed church for a while, I haven't, what's this book of Acts all about? It's the Acts of what God does through his people, the activity that God does through his people, the power of the Holy Spirit. Starts off in Acts 1, verse 8, where he says, you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, which is like the region around them. And he says, and then it's going to go to cities and places all over the world. And the book of acts just describes how it goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then gets to all over the world. In 30 years, there's churches all the way over in Rome. And that might, it's not like a big deal to you, but we're talking about a day. There's no cars. There's no trains. There are some boats that can get you places. Uh, And so the, the places that it's going, when We've already seen some of these here, places that Paul has visited. It goes to, well, put the map up here. You'll see some of the cities. You'll see cities here like Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, Troas. Those are cities that are like medium-sized cities. They're not tiny little villages, medium-sized cities. And Paul goes to a lot of those places, Paul and the early Christians. Uh, but they also go to massive cities. Jerusalem's a massive city. A city. They go to a city where we've heard about probably... Uh, four or five months ago, Antioch. Antioch becomes the hub. Antioch is not on this map. It's all the way over there is where Antioch is, just north of Jerusalem, heading up into Asia Minor. And that becomes the hub church of where Christianity now spreads out from. And they go to these places, Thessalonica and and Philippi, to to important cities, not massive cities. But then, then it goes to places like we've seen the last few weeks, to places like Corinth, a massive big city, And then Athens, a massive big city. And now what becomes the next hub of where Christianity and the way of Jesus spreads out from is now in the city of Ephesus. You'll see it right over there. Ephesus becomes like one of the hubs now, the next hub of where Christianity now spreads out from. Paul spends a great deal of time in both Corinth and in Ephesus uh, explaining the way of Jesus. And what's crazy about that is that 2,000 years later, there are churches in crazy places like Temecula. I mean, we look at that and go, of course, there's great churches everywhere here, right? You can name everywhere here, but churches in Temecula. And then a few weeks ago, I told you guys about there's churches in Ukraine and we uh, had Ksenia, who used to be part of our church, tell us about the needs over there. I told you guys already what we brought in. We actually brought in almost twenty thousand dollars that you guys gave, and it got put on the ground there to that church, that local church there, with evacuation, buying we, uh, tires for for vehicles, medical supplies, food, just income for people whose whole businesses have been taken apart. And Pastor, I'm going to say his name wrong, Eugenie Babich, made a quick little one minute video that we have put some subtitles on. Take a look. <laughs>
0: Я хотел бы выразить э, огромную благодарность Богу и вам, дорогая церковь Кросспоинт и уважаемому пастору Стиву Реден за ваше такое участие, за ваше усердие, за вашу христианскую любовь, поддержку, которую вы выразили, передав нам финансы через Ксению Матсон. Мы очень благодарны Богу и вам. Мы, благодаря этой помощи, сегодня наш труд, он продвигается. Все эти финансы в страхе Божьем, они идут исключительно на нужды людей, страдающих от войны. Да воздаст вам Господь, да благословит вас Господь.
1: Я yeah. So fantastic. At some point when things calm down there, we're going to figure out a way to fly him here and have him come speak that weekend and have Ksenia back here and let her transcribe for us. Because he doesn't speak a word of English. We don't speak a word of Ukrainian. But to hear how we have partnered with the church on the other side of the world, taking the good news of Christ there. Um, There was something else I was supposed to say about that, but I forgot what it was. So I'll think about it later and then I'll come back to it. But it's been powerful to watch us partner up with that church on the other side of the world. As we jump now into the text here, it says that uh, Paul is going back to Galatia and Phrygia, just some regions up in Asia Minor. And then it transfers back over to Corinth. Paul had already started a church in Corinth, been there for a while. And it talks about back in Corinth, Paul's going to go to Ephesus, we're going to find out. Uh, And in Corinth, this guy, Apollos, goes. And Apollos is a guy who's a gifted guy. It says he studied and came from a place called Alexandria. Now, for those of you who paid attention in history class, um, which is both of you, um, (laughs) Alexandria back then was was the hub of culture and learning. 200 years before this, they transcribed something called the Septuagint. Well, Septuagint means 70. 70 scholars got together and translated the Jewish scriptures into the Greek language. And that becomes a lot of the source of how we have our Bible today. But they had a massive library there. People from all over the world came and studied there and learned things there. He had come from there. It's clear that he's a follower of Christ. He's heard about Jesus. And I I love what it says here, that he was, look at verse, he taught about Jesus, verse 25, with uh, enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. That's very important for those of you who are teachers, to be both enthusiastic and accurate. And then people that you're listening to, it's important for us to be enthusiastic and accurate. Uh, Passion and enthusiasm is very, very important. Uh, And so is content and truth. And sometimes we think, well, it has to be one or the other, which means you just get fired at people and fired up and just tell them emotional stories, get them all rah for God. And certainly that's important. Proverbs nineteen two and three though says this enthusiasm without knowledge is a disaster. So if all you have is just passion and excitement, look the truth and the content matters. But I also know that sometimes people think, Well, I'll just you know, I'm just gonna be a person who tells the truth, who just gets up there and speaks the truth, as if if learning to be real, it must be boring. And for it to be real, I mean, if you're really going to be a real Christian, then you better, it just better be boring for you. No, both of those things can be true. Proverbs 15, uh, verse two says, wise teachers make learning a joy. So it can be exciting and accurate. Both of those things you ought to be, if you're a communicator, both things ought to be true uh, for the from the, the churches you go to and the people you listen to, both things ought to be true. But it tells us that, he is a, you'll, you see the, the, the title here on this little section. He's a veteran. I mean, he's a guy who's upfront speaking and teaching, and yet he doesn't know everything yet. He's got some real gaps in there. All he knows about is John's baptism. You go, well, John's baptism. What about the baptism of Jesus? The tricky part about Jesus is that Jesus didn't baptize followers until he died and rose again. So there's this new thing happening now that he hasn't heard about yet. And it tells us that these two people, Priscilla and Aquila, pull him aside. Do your own study on that sometime. Google those names in a Bible word search and see who these people are. They're fantastic. They are people that are wealthy at some point, have independent financial resources, have their own business. At some point, they have churches that meet in their home. We meet them later. They're at the church in Rome. But they're here in Corinth right now, helping work with things. And it says they pull him aside to talk with him. But I want you to see something here. It says here in verse verse 26, it says when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they pulled him aside. Now for you and I to hear that, we go, okay, what's, what, what are you pointing out for? Here's the deal guys. This is where people sometimes think that the church and the scriptures are all about men are in charge and women should just be servants and be submissive and all that kind of thing. Do you know how radical this is that Luke even puts her name here in ancient writings? In ancient writings, you rarely see a woman mentioned as a person of influence, especially a person of influence over and speaking in some authoritative way to a man. And for her to be listed first before her husband, that's never done. I'm telling you right now, the Bible is going to deconstruct all kinds of paradigms that are out there in, our culture, in the culture back then and culture today. And sometimes it's going to explicitly say, this is stupid, this is dumb, this is wrong, and this is right. And sometimes it's just going to tell us a story and say, look what happened, look, look, look what this, the gospel is already doing here. What Jesus does to elevate uh, women here. And so it tells them they pull him aside to tell him, you need to know some more things about the way of Jesus. He was an accurate teacher enthusiastic, but he needed to know something and he needed to grow and they send him off to Achaia and he goes into Corinth, uh, to, to, to minister and do things there. Uh, and now we're going to read, look at, pick, pick up chapter 19 verse one. We're going, okay, what happened to Paul? Cause Paul's like the main guy taking the gospel everywhere. Chapter 19 verse one, it says this, While Apollos was in Corinth. Let's put the map up here again. So you get the context. Matt, will come up here in a second. See, Apollos uh, 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 is over here in Corinth. Across the Aegean Sea here, Paul's over here in Ephesus. So they're several hundred miles apart. Well, Paul, uh, Paul traveled through the interior region until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit well, then what baptism do you experience? He asked, and they replied, the baptism of John, like, well, that's what everybody did, right? Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. See, here's the important thing. John's baptism was all about get your act together, clean up your act, get your stuff together. Jesus' baptism was far more about just get your act together. It was like, you need to die and rise again. The only chance you have is not a religious thing to get yourself cleaned up. You need a rebirth of your soul. You're dead in your sin. Come alive through the resurrection of Jesus, which is what baptism symbolizes. Under the water, dead to myself, out of the water, new life in Christ, raised to life. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 of them in all. So here's what happens here: um, when people become Christians in the Book of Acts, at, at different times, usually when the gospel is making headway into a new culture, into a new cult- culture, a new city, a new place, sometimes God gives a very visible demonstration of people speaking in other languages or prophetically speaking out after that to validate what's just happened here. See, the Holy Spirit just showed up here. That doesn't happen every time, and He's describing, not prescribing, what should happen for you. If you're a Christian, now you might prophesy, you might speak in tongues. And that's not the sign of the Holy Spirit, but it's a very visible one. And he gifted these guys here to confirm with them that something has just happened here. The Holy Spirit is now coming to these believers who've become Christians here in Ephesus. Uh, it's fascinating here. We have Apollos, who's the veteran, and these 12 dudes or, do, or girls, we don't know, women, men, women, who are rookies. Well, you know what they have in common? They both have incomplete knowledge about the way of Jesus. And the rookies go, you got to know something. There's something you need to learn here. And it says they came to faith in Jesus, got baptized. And the big question sometimes comes is, well, were they Christians at this point? And the answer is no idea. My guess is here's what happens with faith. We sometimes imagine faith like this. It's like, you are not a Christian, boom, boom, boom. And then bam, now you are. And I think it's far more less linear than that. I think it's far more like conception and birth. Like something's happened and life is forming up in here. And at some point, boom, you're born in the physical world. I think that's happening here. It's a little bit like, are they Christians yet? I think what they've done is they've put their toe in the water. And they're kind of there like, are you Christians? Well, yeah, I think Christian ish like, you know, whatever. And someone you got to jump all the way in. So that's what kind of happens with them. They've jumped all the way in now. They just had incomplete knowledge. Both of them had that there. Um, they know something, veterans and rookies, but there's more. Uh, you might want to write this down. It's not going to be up on the screen, just, but just write, here's, here's the big point today. There's always a need to know and a need to grow. And that's for Rookies, that's for some of you who are not yet Christians who are brand new to church and Jesus and God and all that. There's all kinds of stuff you need to know. But look at me for a second. Those you who've been Christians longer than like 10 years or 20 years and you think you have your theology figured out? No, you don't. There's always something more. There's a gap somewhere in there for every single one of you. And there will be forever. You, you, you don't know everything yet. And so if there's always a need to... How do we make sure... We don't get stuck. I want to tell you here, what I hope and pray for myself and pray for you is that you never stop growing. That you never stop feeling you're growing. So I want to give you four principles, keys, foundations, whatever you want to call them here, uh, of, of what, what'll, how to help you never stop growing. To Have this sense of, I'm never going to get the place where I got it all figured out. Number one, write this down to make sure you never stop growing. You got to recognize you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Some of you go, thank God I'm not done yet because I'm a hot mess. You're not done yet. Here's the other thing too. Believe it or not, despite what, um, what's the, the Hebrew word for this? Morons in this culture are telling you who say they know it all, who say they have it all figured out, they're the worst of it all. You will never know it all. You will never get to a place where you've got it all figured out spiritually, financially, politically, keep that in mind for what's coming up in the next few months here in our country. What humility means, uh, what this means is I'm, I'm humble. I I don't have it all figured out yet. I want to tell you right now, um, I was listening to a podcast by a guy this week. Uh, and he talked about the idea that the leaders of organizations, he's talking about Christian organizations. Uh, some of you grew up in churches that had like saints, like the patron saint of this, patron saint of that. So here at Cross Point Church, I am St. Steve. I am the patron saint of ignorance. There is so much. I just, and I hope, I I, I hope, I mean, I, all the time learning new stuff going, man, I had no idea about that. I should have got that 10 years ago. I just don't know it yet. I don't get it yet. And there's, there's, there's gaps in my character. There's gaps in my knowledge. There's gaps in my theology, all kinds of it out there. And humility says, I'm not done yet. I got to keep learning. I got to keep growing. So just make yourself St. Kelly, St. Lance, St. whoever you are, patron saint of ignorance. That's who you are. And that'll keep yourself humble. And and what that means is that even when you do know it all, because let's be honest here for a second. Have you ever been in a meeting where you feel like everybody in there is just kind of close? They should just listen to you? No, no, not just just me? (laughs) Happens all the time. I'm terrible. Pray for me. Pray for our staff because it's terrible to be in meetings with me. Um, But uh, even when you are the smartest person in the room, and there's going to be times that's going to be you, whether it's about church and God and Jesus or about technology or about money, You might be the smartest person in the room. One of the things you can build in there is keep a yellow notepad with you and a pen and be the last person to speak. Be the last person to speak, even when you're the smartest person and they should listen to you. When you're the last person to speak, you know what happens? You gain authority to speak because they don't go, oh God, there he goes again. There she goes again. Uh, Now, as you're, Never stop growing and have a sense of, okay, where are the gaps? What do I need to know? Number two is an important boundary in this. Number two, open, don't empty your mind. Because we live in a culture right now where if you pay attention to any kind of Christian websites, there's a big word that gets used right now, uh, that that people are deconstruction. People are deconstructing their, their political ideology, deconstructing their sexuality, deconstructing Deconstruction, 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 deconstructing everything. There's all kinds of stories about even really famous people who've been leaders in Christianity who share their stories about deconversion stories. And here's what's happened they became so open minded that their brain leaked out. Amen. And look, I'm not telling you to shame them. I'm just telling you you gotta be really, really careful here because I've learned some things from the the prophetic voices of HGTV. I have. Watch this. Uh, I've watched Chip and Joanna. And who are the people from Mississippi? Or, or I don't even know who they are. But they just all the different stories of people that are out there. Some of you go, you'll text me right now and tell me who their names are. Um, but whenever they go into a project, the project is going to take, say, two months, three months, four months. You know how long demo takes? Maybe two days. It's very, very easy to just to go... And blast everything away. Much more difficult to put some effort, not in just to deconstruction, but reconstruction. And if you're not careful, you can deconstruct everything and have nothing left. So put as much effort into reconstructing as you do into deconstructing and and some of that. I want to share some scriptures with you. I want to encourage you to. They're on your note sheet to actually turn to some of these with me. We're here in Acts. Go over to the, towards the back of your Bible, past all the books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, to the book of 1 John. It's past Hebrews and James. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Just go back a little bit. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Important verse for how you, how you should be careful when you're being open-minded, when you go, I need to know and I need to learn and I need to grow some stuff. And I feel inclined to just mention this for a second. This is for those of you that are even younger, college students. You have whole universities that their mission right now is to to deconstruct everything in your life. To deconstruct what your parents told you, deconstruct what your church told you. And what's happening there is we're living in a culture where everything's being deconstructed and people are looking around going, we have nothing to anchor into except myself. And you're a lousy anchor for your life because then you just become the God of your life. First John chapter four, verse one, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God for there are many false prophets on Facebook. Oh, in the world. Sorry. There's many. Look at me for a second. There's many false prophets in churches today. You got to be really, really careful. Don't believe everybody. Uh, you can turn to this one if you want. I've got it memorized. Proverbs 14, 15 says, only morons believe everything they're told. It actually says only the foolish, but I like the word moron better. Only foolish, foolish morons people, and it says the prudent give thought to their steps. They, they think about things. They don't just kind of go. And so, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let's go over there and just check all that out. You got to be careful with that. Um, Ephesians 4, 14. We're not going to turn there, but Ephesians four fourteen says, hey, Paul's telling these, these Christians in Ephesus where he's at right now here in, we don't know what year this is, but as he writes a letter back to them, he says, look, I want you to get rooted and grounded in your faith so that you won't be swayed by every wind of new teaching that comes up. Because there's all kinds of clever ideas out there, all kinds of interesting things that go blow this way and blow that way. If you don't get rooted into the ground, you're going to get blown all over the place and have nothing left. He says the sign of maturity Is to be is to is to not be blown here and there and just have you be so open minded that everything just goes away and deconstruct everything, and then I want you to see this. First Thessalonians. You might need to find your table of contents to find it. It's back to the left in your Bibles. If you if you get back to Acts, Romans, and all those, you've gone too far. First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse nineteen. This is one of the, the churches that Paul planted. It's a medium sized city. First Thessalonians says this, verse chapter five, verse nineteen. As he's wrapping things up, he says, "Look, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. And what prophecies are? are when people take the Bible or even themselves, like they feel like they have a word from God for us. Is don't scoff at that. He's saying here. are he's saying here, be open-minded. But then he look what he says here. But test everything that is said." Hold on to what's good. Stay away from all the evil. It's fascinating. In Acts chapter 17, if you go back there just a couple chapters ago, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, And the people of Berea were were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So they're open-minded. They're not just going, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Just write it all down, blah, blah. Just taking it all in. They're going, okay, that sounds great. Jesus, the resurrection, baptism, Holy Spirit. Awesome, amazing, fantastic. Now get your own dang Bible out and check it out. Go check, make sure you validate things. You trust, but verify if it's true or not, because there's a lot of deception out there. So be super careful about that, and the question you want to ask yourself all the time, that I do this all the time when I prayers is God, even this week, guys, I'm telling you, stuff going on in my life and church and all this, God, am I missing something? I think I understand this. I think I have a pretty good grasp of what's going on with this business situation, with this small group situation, with this financial decision. God, am I missing something here? And when that happens, number three, I write this down. It's, it's, a, it's a longer phrase, so we'll leave it up on the screen for a bit to make sure you can get it. Be humble enough to receive and bold enough to speak. Let's start with that first one. Be humble enough to receive. I want to say this with a smile on my face as kindly and gently as I can to us today. But I am convinced that you and me, the measure of our humility, what if it we're measured by how much we're checking out the Bible to see where we're wrong and right? Because I'm telling you right now, this book will shape you. This This book will open your eyes to go, I never knew that. The Bible, it's living and active. It's going to speak into areas of truth about what you believe and, and, and what, what about your mind? It's also going to speak into behavior and conduct and how you do things. And a lot of times, look at me for a second. The reason why our lives are a mess, and I'm not talking, look at me, this is not the world out there. The world out there isn't supposed to know the Bible. The people in the church are supposed to know it. And Hosea is going to speak prophetically to us. The book of Hosea, he tells us, my people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are being destroyed because we are binging all kinds of shows hour after hour and can't spend 15 minutes to open the Bible up and say, "What did God, speak to me in this. And I'm telling you, get this Bible out and don't just read it as a religious book to go, okay, yada, yada, yada. i got to do my 10 minutes because the pastor yelled at me for not being in the Bible. You'll never get anything that way. What you do is go, God, open this thing up. And what you want to say is, God, open me up with this. Let it shape me. Uh, I, I, like I was praying with our prayer team today before the service. I said, there's a prayer in Psalms where it says, David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and point out if there's anything offensive in me. You're not going to be able to figure out what's wrong with you by yourself. You're not that smart. The Bible, the word of God will shape you. I'm telling you, I love this. I don't love this book as the, like a holy book. Like it's, oh my gosh, there's something holy about this. I'm telling you, there is life in this that will help you come alive. That will shape you. And I I get, I get frustrated at myself for the time that I'm I'm a pastor. I get actually, the church supports me so I can do this as my full-time job. Am I really in this? Like I need to be in this. I mean, what if I weren't a pastor and we're going to job? I, I get it. It's a challenge. We're busy. And there's all kinds of distractions out there, but is this shaping our lives? Are you being humble enough to take some time on a consistent basis to get in this book? If you're wondering where do I start, I would tell you start in the book of Proverbs and the book of Mark. Proverbs is wisdom for daily life, and it's just going to shape your life and speak to so many issues. And the book of Mark is the, is the, it's the gospel for ADD people. Because he doesn't spend a lot of time doing long sermons and long descriptions. It's like, this is this, and then this, and then this, and then this. It just moves. It's the shortest. So start in Mark and Proverbs. But I also, am I humble enough to receive it from wise counsel? Uh, There are people, believe it or not, I know it's going to blow your minds today. They're smarter than, wiser than you are. I know that's going to like, you don't think so. But there are people... That are smarter and wiser than you. And you need to let wise counsel speak into your life. It's not just me and Jesus, it's the old school back in the South, they call it y'all. And for us, it's all y'all. There's that's why we do groups and community here. Is to let people speak into our lives. The the men's Bible study coming up, and the men's groups we do, the women's stuff that coming up, student ministries, all of it's it's so much around being in community being being with people, let people speak into our life. When they see gaps and they see some stuff, we've built a relationship with them to do it. Here's the word of God going to get in your life. You're going to do it some because you're doing it today, this weekend, sitting in a church service. That's a great thing to do. That's how God's going to shape your life. Let them speak into there. You're going to do it in groups and you also do it individually. And, and that's fascinating too. Once you see it, Priscilla and Aquila, it says they took Apollos aside. Our temptation in our culture right now is a cancel culture. It's something dumb they've believed in the past, something dumb or wrong they've done in the past. And if we find that out, we call them out and we cancel them. I want to tell you that the church of Jesus should not be a cancel place. It should be a gospel place. It should be a place that says, it doesn't matter where you've been. The truth is all of us in the last, if you've been around, I'm going to go through some things here a bit. Have some things where like, man, I used to think that and I can't believe how dumb I was that I used to think that. And then what will happen, though, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you want to call people out for what ridiculous, idiot, complacent, jerk morons they are. Stop it. Because that's who you are. That's who you were. And people were patient with you. They what you want to do is not just call people out, but call them up. Because what the Bible's telling them to do is that God's going to call some things out in your life, but he's not calling you out to go, you're a jerk, you're an idiot, and I can't believe that's stupid, and that's evil and wrong. You go, hey, that's, that's, that's dumb and wrong. Come here. Let's sit down. Let's pull people aside, not just call them out and post things about that uh, uh, the, uh, out there. Um, back then, there were issues for them related around the baptism issues and the, how they understood the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I want to take some time today to widen the application of this beyond just baptism in the Holy Spirit to say, where might we be missing some things? Where might there be some gaps, whether you're a veteran, longtime Christian, or you're brand new at this? Here's some gaps out there. And this came out of some brainstorming I did and just things I've seen and observed over the years. Uh, and we're going to go quickly through these. I'm not going to be up on the screen. Some of these may not apply to you at all. This is a quick little through a buffet line of some stuff that might be interesting for you to think about. I think in our culture, one of the big blind spots that's in our culture, and it actually is even in the church of Jesus Christ today, is in the area of sexuality. That because pleasure and fulfillment and the the hymn of our culture is happiness is the truth. And if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad. And so when it comes to sex and sexuality, we have a massive blind spot out there uh, and I'm, I'm not even talking just about people outside the church. I'm talking about Christians, people who show up on a regular basis. We got a blind spot. Like We didn't, we didn't either don't get it. Well, we don't care. We don't, don't see it. And the truth is the scripture is gonna be very, very clear that the relationship of sex is designed for one man, one woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. And that's it. Everything outside of that is wrong. And it's not just wrong. It's going to wreck you. We're, we're seeing this lived out guys. And we're at this weird place right now where we are losing our minds and the, the generation, what this is going to what this is doing to to our kids right now and all this, the, it just, it's just crazy what we're doing right now. It's not just wrong. It's wrecking us. Bible is going to say, look, when God's doing this to have standards, he's not uptight about sex. He's saying, look, you get this wrong and it's gonna make a mess out of things in your culture and in your world. Uh, since we're talking about stuff that's just going to make you uncomfortable, let's talk about money now. Sex and money, two things that people get really nervous about, about church. Um, when it comes to money, the Bible makes it very, very clear, this idea, concept of tithing, of giving off the top. But I want you to see something here for a second. Tithing comes from a word that means tenth. It's the giving 10% of your income to God's purpose, to God's kingdom outposts and churches uh, that you're a part of. But for years and years, I've understood that as, okay, it's like give 10%. And it's, a, it's like an accounting thing. How much multiply by 0.10. And that's what you give. I'm telling you, the heart and soul of tithing is not about some legalistic adherence to 10%. You know what it's about? Give your first and give your best. And I heard a guy talking this week about this. And it, again, I grew this week on this issue right here. Because for years and years, I've told people here at CrossFit, my messages on giving come up. Like, you guys need to give. You need to, you need to start tithing. And his, his, this guy said it this way. He says, look, everybody tithes because every single one of us are giving our first and best to whatever is first and best in my life. Every one of us are doing that. Something is getting your first and best. And look at me for a second. God does not want the biggest bite. He's not saying well, whatever you're giving should be the most money that you spend. He says, just carve it off off the top and make it be the first decision you make. And no, it's going to set you free. So money doesn't become your God. It becomes a blessing to you. So giving is you're tithing somewhere. Make sure it's to something that's going to work and bless your life. Not it's going to something enslave you and hold you back. Um, since we're talking about stuff, alcohol, for years and years, let me share a personal story of my life. I, I was, uh, had been seriously following Christ now for probably four or five years when this all happened. Uh, I was out with these guys at this college ministry down at a church in Encinitas. We'd gone to a Christian concert. We were out at a restaurant afterwards, and the waitress came up and asked for our orders and said, can I get you anything from the bar? And I went, oh, yeah, sure. Like, we're all Christians. Like, we're going to drink. Because I grew up in a very legalistic background where good Christians don't drink. And then the pastor ordered a glass of wine with his meal. And I went, huh. I had one of those. Oh, now I see. I, I I I I grew up thinking Christians don't drink or good Christians don't drink, and then now here at Crosspoint, you guys already do a message uh, here and there we bring up and make fun of that about you know even for Baptists and people like that that are hardcore legalists. And my, what happened here is I don't even like alcohol at all, really. I mean, unless it's a, like a slurpy kind of drink that has all the fruit and stuff in it, but. um, what I have done from time to time is make it be like, okay, good, before it was good Christians don't drink. And now it's like all Christians must drink. And then about five, six years ago, some people called me out, part of our church. They sat right here and I went of their house and they said, Steve, you don't realize this, man. Um, five years ago, alcohol about destroyed our marriage. I mean, we were right on the precipice. And if we hadn't stopped drinking, it was going to shipwreck everything here. And so, again, where I've grown here is to go look, it's both things are dumb. Good Christians don't drink, and good Christians must drink. It, those are both dumb. Some of you should never drink again because they make a mess out of your life. You have an addict personality, all that kind of that. And some of you should not pr- pr- be legalistic about it either. But again, just the way we grow. Like there was a gap in knowledge there, and we grow in how we understand that where it's not one or the other. Maybe there's a more nuanced approach to it. Um, forgiveness, other issues that are tricky for us. Bible makes it very, very clear. Uh, forgive as you've been forgiven. I saw an article on, on CNN uh, a few days ago. Uh, one of the guys who was an uncle to one of the little girls that was killed in the Uvalde school shooting said, I've forgiven that man. I read the whole article and it says he pulled his Bible out. I said, how could you do that? Ephesians 4, 30 to 32 says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I said, I've done the unforgivable to Christ. And he forgave me and God, Christ just calls me to do that. And you hear that and go, that's crazy talk. Because here's what's going to happen. Whether it's sex or money or alcohol, or even like issues like forgiveness, there's always a, well, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but what about that? You can yeah, but yourself to death. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but make excuses to duck and dodge and think that that you're the exception to the rule. I want to tell you right now, people all the time say, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. What they did was unforgivable. And I'm telling you right now, that's the only way forgiveness is forgiveness. Otherwise, you're just being a nice human being. The only way forgiveness is really forgiveness is when somebody has done something that is humanly unforgivable and you extend grace and mercy to that person. Maybe there's something there, a gap in our understanding. Maybe there's a clarifying conversation and some forgiveness that needs to happen. Maybe there's a gap in there for me back in 2009. I'd been a pastor here now for a cross point for five years. And I, for the first time in my life, 2009, 22, how many years ago is that? 13 years ago. So what was I? 40. You figured out 47 years. I was 47 years old, been a pastor now for a number of years. And for the first time in my life, I understood that the gospel of Jesus is not just what you believe to get saved. It certainly is that. But for the first time I understood, no, the gospel of Jesus is the pattern and the power for salvation. Cause I always heard like, believe in Jesus, get saved. Jesus lived, died and rose again. Now suck it up, buttercup. You better believe and behave. Cause look what Jesus did for you. You better live for him. And I was like, I have no power to live for him. When you sent the gospel, like the power of Christ is in me now through the spirit that, that changes me from the inside out. And I finally understood that in 2009, been a pastor at this church for five years. Even recently for me, um, looking at the book of revelation and seeing that in a way different way. That's what's coming. Our next series uh, sometime in August, September this year, we're going to start revelation used to always be like the decipher the secret code to correct the code of end times. That's how I always understood it. And for the first time about a year and a half ago, I went. now I see it's a book written to help us help us overcome being seduced by the great whore of Babylon who's hot and amazing in the world that's just going to want to seduce us or being crushed by the persecution and the oppression that comes anyway that's sneak preview that's coming in a few months baptism since we talked about baptism there some of you it's a, you don't know for, for you it's these, apostles, these people in Ephesus said, the only baptism we know about is John's baptism. I think for some of us, the only baptism we know is infant baptism. We got baptized when we were little kids and baptism was a decision made for you, not by you. And maybe it's time for you to go, I'm a Christian now and I've made that decision for myself. It's time for me to go public with my faith and get baptized, proclaiming my allegiance to Christ and my identity with him. Some of us are kind of spiritual and curious, like maybe these, first, these people in Ephesus, like checking out church, checking out God, checking out Jesus. And, and Jesus is kind of like at the beginning, like a consultant for us. And Jesus will do that for a while, but Jesus doesn't want to be your consultant or your coach. He, he has to be your King. Uh, I, I was hearing a story of, a, of a, a lady here at our church who going to our church for a while and then joined a small group and started asking questions. And some people in her group in a great way, just pulled her aside and explained who Jesus is, that Jesus is God, that he lived and died and rose again and that cross is all about that. And for the first time in her life, she understood what that was all about. And just a few months ago, I got baptized here at Cross Point because it all just, it's like, oh, now I see. Growing up in the church, that heard it over and over again. And like, boom, all of a sudden, it came to full, full form. And some of us are into Judaism or Allah or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or whoever they are. Those are all people that might be great, wonderful things to say to you. Ultimately, you've got to get to the intersection of Jesus. Even no matter, no matter where your journey has been to get to that place. And then the last one that I want to chat with you guys about is the Nike version of Christianity. Remember Nike's phrase? I don't think they're using it anymore. Remember what it was? Three words? Just do it. And for years and years, that's how I understood. Believe and behave. Just do it. You Christians, you churchgoers, come on. Get, get after it. And then I was listening uh, to a guy uh, back at a church in Florida, and he was talking with this Scottish pastor, uh, Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish pastor. He speaks like all the dudes in Braveheart. And you know what it is? People who speak like Scottish, Irish, English, Australian accents, they just sound cooler and more wise than we do, right? So... And he was talking about this guy. He's talking about the idea. We're going to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. And here's the deal. There's a, a, an organization. I forget the name of it now. Campus crusade or, or one of those back years and years ago had this whole evangelism thing that says this, if you were to show up at heaven and they were to ask you, why should I let you in here? What would you say? And if your answer is because I, because I anything, because I went to church because I was a good person because I believed, because I, because I, then you've missed the whole thing. You do not get in because I did anything. You get in because he, because he lived the perfect life in your place that you didn't live. He died in your place of death. You deserve to die. And he rose again with new power for new life for you. And, and then again, imagine like the thief who died on the cross of Jesus, the one who said, Jesus, remember me when you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Imagine that guy at the pearly gates shows up there again. And they they show up there again. And they go, what, what, what are you doing here? Uh, I know, has no idea what's going on here and so they ask okay so clipboard's out what's your position on the doctrine of sanctification and justification and salvation what's your the inerrancy and the authority of scripture blank stares on his face and go well greet somebody else over okay what's your what church did you go to did you serve Did you invite? Did you give? Did you memorize scripture and read the Bible? Have quiet times all the time. And the angels are all huddled around going, this guy, what are you doing? They called the supervisor over here. Supervisor comes over and looks at him and goes, why should we let you in here? And the thief just looks up and says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the gospel. For some of us, we have just lived in this idea of I got to perform. I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. And certainly belief and behavior are going to come as a response to grace, but they do not qualify you for anything. The reason you're in, the reason you can know that you are, your salvation is sure and certain is because the man on the middle cross said you could come. Number four, and the band's going to come up right now because I'm way over on time. Number four, now that I know, how will I grow? There's some stuff right now in your life. I'm convinced for some of us, some of us right now have stuff right now that God has been working on us already. And there are some things right now, right now that, you know, God's been poking at and prodding at through scriptures, through your own life, through, through people who've challenged you, encouraged you. And it's time to do something about it. It's not enough to know it. Now I've take action on it for some of us today. You heard something today in this service Maybe a matter of faith or baptism or some issue of of theology or or, or practice or obedience to Jesus. Whatever that is, we're going to sing some songs now. and Just let the Holy Spirit just work in your heart and soul. And don't delay. Whatever God's told you to do, do that thing. On that connection card they gave you, would you write that down for us so we can pray for you and know all about that. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today. If you need prayer for anything... They'll be back there to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, We have communion available at the four corners of the room. It's a piece of bread and juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. And today, as you come there, celebrate the fact that what that represents? The man on the middle cross that I could come. And you don't have to come and put any money in there to get communion. You don't have to come and do any ceremony there. You just come with empty hands to receive it. So Jesus, today. We want to always be people that are growing, whether we're rookies at this or veterans. We say, like little Sammy boy did years ago, speak Lord, we're listening.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to gotocrosspoint.com.